begin a short series, a little break from Romans, a short summer series in the book of Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 57, and, and this shows us the importance of exalting God even when we are exhausted. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down among fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let us look to this exalted God in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, anoint your servant, Pastor Greg, with wisdom and power. Give him courage this morning to preach faithfully, which means at times to reprove and rebuke us, but also to exhort and encourage us. May Greg's clear and strong love for your people be evident today, here this morning, alongside his love for you and your word, so that by the work of your spirit, we might hear the voice of Jesus in the preaching of your word, and we might be strengthened with power in our inner being and comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and come to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so kicking off this series, we've entitled it Greetings from the Psalms. So as we take this little journey this month in the Psalms, I pray it'll be a blessing, but I also pray it'll be an eye-opener in the sense that you will focus on Psalms like you've never focused on it before, because this is a, it's such a valuable book. It's, it's such, a, such a valuable resource that God has given us, and, and it's right smack dab in the middle of the Bible. It's a big book. It's a long book, as you know. It has 150 chapters, but many think it's the longest book in the Bible. It is not. 
Uh, that honor goes to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible, and the second longest book is the book of Genesis, and then comes Psalms. Uh, Hebrew word count, that is, with all of that. But at any rate, it is a big book, and it does have a lot of chapters, but the good thing is a lot of them are short, but they, they energize us. We look at them, and we see this, this kind of a, a, a of, of just covers, it covers everything that God's word talks about, the doctrines of salvation and sin and God's glory and his sovereignty and his power and his plan and his providence, it's all there. And so I pray that we, we begin to look at Psalms and, and even dedicate to read Psalms every day. Just read a Psalm every day of your life. Uh, in, in the old days, we know that people would travel and if they couldn't take a whole Bible, they at least had a New Testament and a, Psalm, and, and a copy of the Psalms. And that's how important this is to our souls to be nourished by the truths of God's word. But, but, but basically, David, we think of when we think of Psalms, right? We think of the book of Psalms, and David comes to our mind, and we think that he wrote all the Psalms, but he didn't. David wrote only about half of the Psalms, about 75 of the Psalms, and the rest are attributed to authors such as the family of Asaph, the, the sons of Korah, Solomon, and Moses, and a couple of others, but mainly we, we do think of David. But, but the, the point is we see people in Psalms. We see people like us. You say, well, wait a minute, I wasn't Solomon, the richest man in the world, or the wisest, and I wasn't King David. But wait a minute, what we learn is from the sons of Korah and the sons of Asaph and, and David and Solomon is that they are all like us. Because as we look at the book of Psalms, we see people who are broken, who are at the end of the rope, who are, who are at their wit's end, who are afraid, who admit that they have no answers and that they're weak and lonely and afraid. That, that's who we see. We see real people who put their faith in God, and that's all they can do. And this is a mirror for us. It's a, it's a model. We see it. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a child of God. It's, it's just, it's not a, a lot of how-to, it's not an instructional guide, it's not like some of the epistles where Paul writes and says, Here, here's point A, point B, point C, do this, do this, do this. This is life lived out before us. We, are, we travel into the very hearts of these people, and we hear the conversations they have. These personal, intimate conversations between themselves and God. And then we can say, you know, I can do that. I need that. I need to cry out to God like that. That's what we learn. So look at it this way when we go through this series this week. Let it nourish your soul. See the different ways that it speaks to us. There are songs, and it is like a songbook in a way. There, there are songs of lament. There are also songs of praise. There are songs of thanksgiving. There are songs of wisdom. There are songs of courage. And so again, the church for years has used the Psalms as a song book. Not just the church in the wilderness as they uh, wrote about what God had done for them, such as delivered us through the Red Sea, delivered us from, from the Egyptians. And they sang songs about that. Those are all captured in, in the Psalms and they were sung repeatedly to praise God and to remind them of God's great works. But even in the New Testament, we see Paul say in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, as he's writing, writing to the church, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be 
looking at Psalms. And I just want today to, to before I jump into uh, chapter 57, I want to just give this brief introduction and um, just to give us some benefits, just, just a few of the benefits that Psalms gives us. Christopher Ash wrote an article, and most of this is based on what I read in his article, which is a very um, thorough on this, but just a few points I'm going to borrow. But one of the things that we benefit from in the Psalms is that the Psalms teach us how to pray. I've already mentioned that, but the Psalms teach us how to pray. If you struggle with that, you say, I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to say, then read the book of Psalms and begin to just pray those to God. They are prayers. And so we can look at that and say, boy, this is like a mirror. I just want, I want to mirror what I see, what, what these saints of God are saying, and how they cry out to God, because that's what prayer is, crying out to God. So read the Psalms and pray the Psalms. But the Psalms also teach us to trust God in all of our human experiences. We can trust God through all of our emotions, human emotions. We're humans, and we have emotions. Well, we see all of these in the Psalms. John Calvin said this. He said, the book of Psalms is an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. There is not an emotion which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here brought to life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities. In short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. <laughs> all the things that agitate us, all the things that cause fear, all the things basically that cause us to keep our eyes off of God and on ourselves are addressed in the Psalms. Why? Because real people wrote them. Re people just like us wrote them. Psalms also reorients our disorder. We're all disordered, right, in this world, and Psalms reorients that disordered affections that we have, our disordered affections. It causes us to love God with all of our heart. It causes us to, to reorient, and we've got to do that. If you're not reorienting your life and your sight and your vision from the things around us in this world to God on a daily basis, you are in for a hurting and a bruising and a, uh, just a miserable life because you will be taken over by all those emotions. The only antidote to our fear and our emotions and all these things we can't control is to look to the one who can and does and to focus our eyes on him and to just soak in his grace and love and truth. The other thing we see is that the Psalms can sweeten our sour emotions. Are you a sourpuss? Are you a sour person? Are you a bitter person? Are you angry? All these things, the Psalms can sweeten sweeten us. <laughs> I like what Christopher Ash says concerning this. He says, when we are turned in on ourselves in resentment and bitterness, anger, or despair, these emotions become deeply destructive. They give our whole lives a sour taste. The Psalms can take these dark emotions and transform them into something life-giving. So that, again, is why we've got to do this, folks. We've got to, we've got to get in this book and read it, marinate it, soak in it, on a daily basis. Here's how convinced I am that the Psalms are such a blessing to us if we just simply read them and pray them and make them a daily part of our lives. I encourage you. Now, now this is going to, gosh, I, I, this is, it's coming right out. I'm saying it. Here it is. 
We used to have a lot of things out there called the Daily Bread. I mean, if you may read that, I did for years. Folks, I would rather you read a psalm a day than the Daily Bread. I think it's that important. I think the Bible, get in the Bible. Let the Bible wash over you. Okay, that's, we can talk about that later. But that's how important I think it is. Just read. You say, what do I do for my devotions? Read a psalm. If you know nothing else about what to do for your devotions, read a psalm each day and pray it back to the Father. Something else psalms does for us. It helps us trust the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Why? Because it reminds us multiple times, hundreds of times, literally, through that book, that God's love is steadfast and unchangeable for us. And we need to hear that. So today, we're going to learn, hopefully, from the Psalms that we are to exalt God even when we're exhausted. And we're going to learn what that does for us, to exalt God even when I'm exhausted, spiritually, emotionally, physically exhausted. And we all get exhausted, right? Amen. <laughs> We all all get exhausted. The definition, short definition for exhaustion is worn out, frazzled, weak, drained. You feel any of those things? Folks, we live in a world that frazzles us. Just living in this world. We, our emotions are like on a roller coaster ride in this life. If you are connected to the world in any way, through the news or newspapers or social media or whatever. Your emotions are up and down. Why, just in the past 24 hours, we didn't know what Purgosian uh, and, and his, his army was, was going to do. Was there going to be a coup in Russia? And then within 24 hours, we had a coup, and then we had a, a, new, a new, new coup, no coup. They went the other way. And, and, and yet our emotions are like, wow, is there going to be another war? Is Putin going to use the, a, a nuclear bomb on these guys? What's going to happen? And that's just one of thousands of things every day that bombard us in a world that we don't control those things and yet they control us if we sit around and focus on them and then bring that even closer to the people in our lives that hurt us betray us lie to us deceive us are angry with us whatever i mean it goes on and on and so our emotions folks are frazzled so yes in this world we get exhausted just living, just living in the world that we live in. And then if you're married, there's a whole new level. <laughs> Obviously, right? Because relationships are not easy and they're not automatic. And a marriage relationship consists of what? Two wretched sinners. That's it. Two sinners who are not compatible in every way. And there's going to be stress and tension and all of misunderstandings and all these things so you're exhausted right we got to admit this but what do we do when we're exhausted that's what we learned from david david is exhausted when he writes this particular chapter he's he's exhausted when he writes many of the chapters of the psalms but what do we do we exalt god exalt god when you're exhausted so let's notice this today. Try to hopefully learn from, from this. Because when David wrote Psalm 57, he was running from a madman, Saul. We, we, we preached it. We were there. First Samuel chapter 22. Last year, two years ago, whenever it was. And we saw 
the king after David for no real reason. David was the most faithful servant to King Saul there ever could be. He promoted him. He, he worked for him. He served him. He gave his life for him on the battlefield. I mean, he, he would give his life for him. He, he, he served that faithfully. And yet Saul was jealous and bitter and turned against him and tried to kill him every chance he got. And in this particular chapter, he lied about David as well, spread falsehoods around the kingdom about, about David's unfaithfulness. They just weren't true. So David's hearing lies about himself and mistruths. And then he also is facing armies that are trying to kill him. And he's running and he's hiding in a cave in this chapter. The cave of Adullam. So this is written about the time of 1 Samuel 22, all those events. And, and, and notice the exhaustion of David. Verse 4 of Psalm 57, Psalm 57, verse 4 says, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. So again, speaking to the idea of the lies told about him, the falsehoods told about him, all of the things that he is enduring from the mouths of humans who their teeth have become like razor sharp, plus the physical threat of death by those with weapons who are out to destroy him. So he's in the midst of lions. And then verse 6, he says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. I mean, they're out to get me on every corner. Everybody is out to get me. And literally for poor David, it was, it was basically true. And that Hebrew word translated bowed down is similar to a word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 1.8. And I want us to, to compare these because it's the same idea that what, what David is feeling here, the apostle Paul felt. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened. Bareo, the same type of word that was used in Psalms. Burdened, bowed down under the weight. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's heavy talk from the Apostle Paul. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul was so burdened under stress and grief and suffering, emotional and physical, that he literally had to say, we were bowed under the weight of that so much that we despaired of life itself. Now, some would say that simply means that they felt like there was a death sentence upon them and that the magistrates have actually pronounced the death sentence upon them. But I also see it as literally an emotional cry to say, we just didn't want to live. Death would have been a better thing at this point. We were so miserable. We despaired of life itself. Being in a state of confusion, right, and hopelessness. And these are the results. Again, exhaustion may mean weakness and frazzled and tired and worn out. But it is directly connected and leads to confusion, anger, bitterness, all of those things. And that's what David's feeling. That's what Paul was feeling. That's what you're feeling. That's what I have felt and will feel. This is life in this broken world. And yet, 
in the midst of his exhaustion, hiding in a damp cave, hungry, tired, beaten by the elements, David exalts God. And we see this in this chiasm of the construction of this chapter. A chiasm is a literary device where it, it begins with the lesser and builds to the crescendo. And, and, and in this case, it actually ends again with that chiastic point that is made in the middle. Right in the middle of this chapter, verse 5, it says, Be exalted! That's what David is saying. In the midst of all of this, he's in the midst of lions and, and torture and agony and suffering. But what does he say? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And the last verse of this chapter reiterates that main point. Verse 11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the the earth to exalt means to lift up to raise up above all things we exalt god we lift him up above all things we lift him up above the petty problems of our life we lift him up above the petty leaders of our world those who we set on pedestals when we exalt god he now rises above all things in this world things we love, things that we devote our lives to, things that we spend hours and hours on, and we begin to worship those things, literally, folks, and yet the importance of exalting God is that when he is exalted, those things are brought low, and he is in his proper place. He is Lord above all things, and his glory spreads over all the earth. Literally, what that means, his glory spreads now encompasses this earth to where when you look around, the most glorious things of this earth are not the trinkets that man makes, it's the glory of God in those things. His glory encompasses everything in this world. And now we see him, and we don't see our problems, we don't see our pain, and we don't see our suffering anymore, but we see him and all of his glory. And that changes us. You see, again, here's the point that I want us to, to grab on this. Exalting God praises him, yes. When we exalt God, it praises him, it gives him glory that he alone deserves, but it also changes us. And I just want to end very quickly. We're not done, but I'm, I'm, this is like the, the ending step, the step toward the end. I want to bring this message towards an end by talking about six ways that exalting God affects me. Six ways that exalting God affects me. This is what you can write down. Number one, exalting God refocuses my attention on God rather than on my fears, my sorrows, my fill in the blank. Exalting God refocuses my attention. Here's the problem, folks. If we are focused on that which makes us angry, we're just going to keep being angry. <laughs> if we're focused on that which makes me bitter, I'm going to keep being bitter. If you are a downhill skier and you are saying to yourselves, do not hit the tree, 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 you are going to hit the tree. You know why? Because that's where your eyes are. And so what exalting God does is it says, 
Look at the beauty of God. Look at the glory of God. Look at the honor and majesty of God. Look at the power of God. You see what I'm saying? And what are we going to see? We're going to see the glory and majesty and power of God. And we're going to see less and less of that which makes us angry, mad, upset, confused, scared, frightened. We must replace, if it's a sin or if it's a fear or or, or a habit or whatever it is, folks, we must replace. We can't just say, I'm going to stop thinking about that. I'm going to stop doing this. No, I must replace whatever that is with something more glorious, something more valuable, something more powerful. That's what David is doing here by exalting God in the midst of his exhaustion. Second thing exalting God does is exalting God reminds me of his strength in the midst of my weakness. Psalm 73, 26, I'm going to borrow from that, but David says this, beautiful, beautiful way to put this. Look what he says. My flesh and my heart may fail, so he admits again, my heart is weak, my flesh is weak, and I, I'm, I'm going to fail. But God, you see where he takes the attention? My flesh fails, my heart fails, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the Christian life, folks. This is it. We are going to fail. We are going to sin. We are going to be sinned against We are going to hurt people, and we are going to be hurt. That's life in a fallen world, and while we're still in this flesh. What do we do? We don't just stay there. We don't just continue to talk about how angry we are that somebody hurt me. I don't just sit and wallow in my guilt that I hurt somebody. I don't just keep thinking, no, I go to the one who is my strength, and I say, but God is stronger than I am. He is more faithful than I am. He is more loving than I am. I will look to him. I'll cry out to him. He's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, right? Paul had a problem. (laughs) Well, we all have problems, but Paul had this specific deal going on where God allowed this messenger of Satan, the Bible says, to buffet him. Now, we don't know what that is. Some would say it was some kind of a physical ailment, maybe an eye problem or, or, or some other physical sickness. Some say it was a human being that drove him bonkers. Sometimes that happens, right? God allows that to happen. Somebody comes into our life and they're a little testing on, on us. But whatever this was, Paul prayed, please remove it, Lord. Please remove it. Three times Paul begged God, take this away, Lord. But look what God says in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because it's Christ in me, not me. Paul's saying these ailments, these pains, these these calamities, these, these words of insult, and on and on he goes, they cause me to look to my strength, who is the Lord. So I'll keep 
the calamity. I, 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 will, I will joy, rejoice in the sufferings that God allows to come my way because God is graciously using those sufferings, those hurts, those betrayals, those whatever, that sickness. He's graciously allowing something to come into my life that puts my focus on him, that draws me to him, that brings me closer to him ultimately. And that's grace. That's what David knew. That's what Paul knew. Then look at number three, the third thing that exalting God does. Exalting God gives me confidence in his sovereignty. When I exalt God, what do I do? I see him. I'm looking at him. And as I look at God, he's multifaceted in his attributes, and I begin to see all of them. And as I look upon him, I see his sovereignty. And that gives me confidence. Not in me. I have nothing in the flesh to boast about, man. Of course not. But my confidence is in the sovereign God I'm looking at. This is, look, look at this in verse 2. David said, I cry out to God most high. Why? I cry out to God who fulfills his purpose in me. What David is saying there, I cry out to God because I know his sovereignty. I know he has a purpose in my suffering. I'm not just be, I've not just been thrown to the whims of the universe here. It's not just all happenstance, and I'm just tossed topsy-turvy, and who knows what's going to happen. No, God is in charge of even this moment. Wherever you find yourself right now, however down you find yourself, however beaten and broken, exhausted you find yourself, when we exalt God, we realize, wait a minute, this is no accident. God is sovereign. He has a purpose for my life. I can have confidence in that. That's what we saw. Is it not what we saw in Romans 8, 28? And we know, Paul says. And we know. Do you see the similarities between these people who we look to as being great saints of God, faithful Christians? David, who did sin just like us, but he, he was faithful. But why is that? Because he continued to look to God in the midst of his pain he continued to trust in the sovereignty of God. And Paul, same way. We look to Paul and say, wow, I wish you could be like Paul. What was Paul's secret? Paul had confidence in the sovereign plan of God for his life. And no matter what happened to him, no matter how beat down he was, he continued to look and say, but wait, I'm looking to God who's in control and there's a plan. Therefore, he could say in verse 28 of Romans 8, and we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Same wording that we saw in the Psalms. His purpose. Then number four. When I exalt God, I realize his steadfast love and faithfulness for me. Because you, you can't help but look at God and see his sacrificial giving love in Christ. He reveals it throughout the whole Bible, that that is his plan for us. His ultimate plan for us is to redeem us through his son and to make us into the image of Christ, to conform us into the image of his son and to glorify us and to give us reigns, if you will, of the new heavens and the new earth. We will rule and reign with Christ forever. That's, that's the plan. When you look to God and hear his plan, that's the problem. We talk to ourselves negatively all the time about our problems now, and we look to the problem and the source of that problem and the situations that we're finding ourselves and the circumstances of our problems, 
And we keep talking about that and talking about that. And we're never going to find the correct answer doing that. We're only going to be just in an endless spiral of woe is me. And yet, when we look to God, we realize, wait a minute. He is sovereign over this, but he loves me. His steadfast love will never fail. That's where I want to see. I want to look at what he's done for me. And God reveals to me what he's done. And that's what David says in verse 3. He literally preaches the gospel to himself. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 57. David reminds himself, he says, he will sin from heaven and save me. He will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. See, this is how we hear from God. We read his word. That is gazing upon him, right? We exalt him. And as we read his word, he's talking to us. He's telling us, here's how I love you. Here's how much I love you. My steadfast love will never leave you. And I have shown it in that I have sent from heaven. I have sent my son from heaven. And I have crushed him under the weight of the wrath that you deserve. And I've raised him up victorious as your payment. And in him you are righteous, clean, pure in my sight. You're my son, you're my daughter. I love you and I will never stop. What can separate us from the love of Christ? We saw it last week. Nothing. And that's what David knew. Why did David know that when he was in the midst of exhaustion and fear and anguish? Because he exalted God. And he was reminded of all of these truths and therefore could rest. And that's, that's where we're headed. I mean, look, look at this. This is glorious because the fifth thing that exalting God does is it gives me rest. Why? Because of my confidence in God's purpose for me, because of my confidence in the love of God for me, because of my confidence in the faithfulness of God towards me in Christ. And I can rest in the midst of the trials and pain and suffering and circumstance, whatever it is, I can still rest. Now, none of this means we don't, we, <laughs> side note, none of what I'm saying now means that we stop working on our problems. None of this means that if you've, you've got some problem, you just, you know, ah, who cares, you know. No, we continue to, to do what needs to be done in this world to fix certain situations. But in the midst of that, we're not freaking out running around like chickens with our heads cut off. No, we have a calm rest in the sovereignty of God that carries us through. Do you see? That, that's the point. That we can have a calm, resting spirit in the midst of chaos. This has puzzled the world in, in Christians for, for centuries. This has puzzled those who do not know Christ for centuries. When they look at Christians in the midst of the most horrific trials or heartache or anguish, and they see some rest and some kind of a peace and even a joy, not a crazy delusional, woohoo, God is good, there's my dead child in a coffin, no, and I'm jumping around, hallelujah, you know, hallelujah. No, 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 but there is a calm, and there is a peace, and there is a rest that those who do not know God and his sovereignty are amazed at. They can't understand it. Same with the martyrs who have died, and many of them willingly going to the, the, the rack or to the stake, singing 
praises, and as they die and the flames lick their bodies, they're, they're looking up and they're praising God and they're praying for the people who are actually killing them and the people who are in the crowd. Many of them come to Christ as a result of that powerful witness because what they're witnessing there is worth more than all the treasures of this world. That kind of peace, that kind of power in the midst of darkness and pain and death. And that's what exalting God does for us. If, as we exalt God, we have this supernatural Teflon ability to walk through the pain of this world because we're looking to the power of God, not us. What did David say in verse 4? Here's what he said. My soul is in the midst of lions. What are you going to do, David? I lie down amid fiery beasts. I lie down. <laughs> I can rest in the middle of the lions. Now notice the lions don't leave. They're still there. The fiery beast all around him. But he's resting. He can lie down. Because his confidence is in God and not himself because he has exalted God and he's heard his promises and he rests in them he trusts them he believes them God will deliver me I may and I may here's the point about it people get confused about this they think that when Christians talk about God delivering them they think they jump to the prosperity gospel side and say oh that means you'll never be sick that means you'll never die that means you'll never be martyred no quite the opposite it means that no matter what happens in this life even if I get all of my limbs chopped off and burned at the stake I'm trusting God because this world is not all there is. Why? Because I've been exalting God for a long time, the Christian would say, and I have seen many of his attributes and many of his promises, and I know what's coming. And because I have gazed upon him for years and looked upon him and, and felt his intimacy and heard his word, my whole worldview has been transformed. I'm not of this world. This world is not my home. We are citizens of heaven. That's what the person who exalts God believes and understands about themselves and about this world. I can rest. And, and you know, this language harks back to the Hebrew children, does it not? When David says, I, 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 can, I can lie down in the midst of lions, who does that remind you of? A story back in Daniel, chapter 6. Daniel in the lion's den. Here's another believer who was cast literally into the den of lions. And he rested in, in God. He, whether, whether he was chewed up by the lions or not, Daniel obeyed God. He exalted God in his life. He trusted God. And God quite literally at that moment shut the mouth of the lions. What about the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When, when the king told them to bow down and worship his image. And they said, no, we can't because why? We exalt God. He's altogether lovely, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to honor him. Well, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace, buddies, buddy boys. How are you going to like that? They said, okay, be it known, O king, that our God, who we exalt, can deliver us from your hand, O God, and he will, uh, uh, can deliver us, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. I love that little nuance there. He can deliver us from, he can if he wants, deliver us from this fire, but no matter what, he'll deliver us from your hand, O king. You have no power over us. Even if we burn to a crisp in that fire, is what they were saying, he still delivers us. Because we rest, and they, did, they, they rested in that. But, but I, I think it's interesting to see that little 
flashback that David's giving there, this is what he's saying. We've always done this as Christians. We exalt God in the midst of our pain, and we can rest and trust his sovereignty. Uh, Psalm 4.8, beautiful psalm that is personal to me. When, when I read Psalm 4.8, I take a time travel back 40 years. So it's 40 years ago. I'm 19 years old. I'm in Clarksville, Tennessee, starting Bible college. And I'm waiting on two of my friends who are still my lifelong friends, one of which you'll hear preach here in October, Lord willing. But they weren't there yet. I was there alone. And, and what it is, I'm, at the, I'm, I'm on the campus, Bible Baptist um, Church, Clarksville Baptist College, Clarksville Academy. So you've got a Christian high school over here on this side. You've got a church in the middle. And then I was in the building for the college. I'm on the second floor of a makeshift dorm. They had no real dormitories, but you had this class, these classrooms. <laughs> and they had taken a classroom and, you know, made it into a dorm room. And I was to share this with two other guys. And what they had done, they threw three cots in there, and that's what I saw when I showed up. Here's this big room and three cots, and I got two other guys coming. But right now, I'm alone. I'm sitting in this room. I have never been away from home. I know. I'm just coddled. I'm 19, little Kentucky boy, almost 300 miles from home, and I was a little freaky, freaking out. I was a little scared. I could not sleep. Every noise in this building, what's going on, right? Uh, it's, I'm scared to death. And I'm thumbing through my Bible, I'm thumbing through Psalms, <laughs> and I come upon this. Here it is. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. A simple verse, just reading through, saw it, and yet the Holy Spirit applied that to my heart, and I saw God exalted at that moment. By His grace, He reminded me that I'm safe in, in Him. I dwell in safety. And I literally did. I was able to, 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 to lay down and sleep. I mean, it was, I know it sounds like a silly story, but this is how we are, right? Each of us have different significant things in our lives that God uses to imprint himself upon us. And for me, this simple story, still, as I was studying for this, I was right there in that room. I was right there feeling that fear. I was right there again, needing something and reading God's word. And it was able to deliver me. It was enough. It was the strength. God was exalted. I saw him more than my fear. And I trusted his promise. So this is what David says in Psalm 57, 1. He cries out. At the moment of his anguish and exhaustion, he cries out, Be merciful to me, O God! Be merciful to me! Sometimes we have to do that, folks. We're so hurt. We're, we're so broken. Doesn't minimize any of that. It really happens, the pain, the hurt, the fear, the frustration, whatever it is. But we cry out to God. We exalt him and we cry out to him and we, we say, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. That's what it means when I exalt God and cry out to him. What am I doing? I'm taking refuge in him. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. That's what it means to be a Christian, folks. We run to him and we hide in his wings of love and we trust him and we look upon him until the storms pass by. And they do, by the way. That, it, it just automatically happens. 
as we're in the midst of the storms, and they can still be rumbling. And yet the more we are in his presence and looking to him and exalting him, he's supernaturally calming our hearts. And we have peace. And we rest. And then what do we do? Oh, exalting God does this. When I exalt God, I praise him with joy. This is where the joy of the Christian comes from. Because we have exalted God and we have rested in God, now our response is joyful exaltation. We do it every time we come to church. We should. Part of the thing that we're doing here is we are expressing our joy to God in praising him for his faithfulness towards us. Because we have rested in him. Because we are looking to him and exalting him. We can rejoice and praise him with joy. Look at these verses as we close. Psalm 57, verses 7 through 10. This is the result of exalting God in a Christian's life. My heart is steadfast. (laughs) Do you want a steadfast heart? Then exalt God. Look to him. Continually, day by day, day in, day out. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. That's how... uh, Let's let's pray for that next week, right? As we sing as God's people, we come to church with the goal of waking up the dawn. We want to wake up our neighbors. We want to sing. Why? We are exalting God with song because of the joy that is in our hearts for him. That's what David's saying. I will wake up the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. Why? For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Do you understand that? Do you ever feel that? Do you want to? Come to Christ right now. Come to Christ. See him dying on the cross for you. And do that every day for the rest of your life. Continue to look to him. And your heart will be steadfast.